I'm Gino Parati, and I'm an expert in the field of interpersonal communication, which means that I study human behavior in the context of relationships. I'm a published author on the subjects of culture, gender, nonverbal communication, and soft skills. I'm also a self-identified empath and apparently an INFJ if you're into the Myers-Briggs stuff. Having lectured at some of the largest and most prestigious universities and colleges in the United States, I've seen firsthand how powerful communication can be in transforming our mindsets, our perspectives, our relationships, and ultimately the way that we experience our lives. So that's why I've created this podcast, to help us expand our social and emotional intelligence, which can lead to more effective communication and better relationships, both with others and with ourselves. A former student, Emily, and I were having an interesting conversation about what is going on with people socially and emotionally during this pandemic. So I invited her to share this conversation on this podcast. Episode three, an opportunity to rethink our reality. Step three of emotional intelligence is identifying why you're feeling what you're feeling. This is the root cause of your thoughts and emotions. This is where the magic happens because identifying the root cause enables the transformation. What we are transforming is the way that we perceive and experience reality itself. We reframe it. You don't always have to change the situation to change the way you think or feel about it. Quarantine has been a huge change for everyone. So how do we deal with that? Uh, While some people would rather change the reality, meaning that they would not want to be quarantined to get back to life as usual, uh, if that's not an option right now, then we have to change the way we're experiencing or thinking about what quarantine actually is, how it's making us feel. And ultimately, it may not be the quarantine itself. It may be the change in your daily routine that is the thing that you're really wanting to to change up. Um, So that's what we're going to have to reframe is this idea of what the change in our daily routine is. Um, And ultimately, to do that, I think you need to get to the core of how you feel about change to begin with. We're all scared of change the the really philosophical thing to realize that and to be scared of change is literally to be scared of life and let me tell you a story to explain that uh, a little bit there was a, a fortune cookie that i cracked open about five years ago and it was a pretty darn wise fortune cookie usually they're kind of silly but this one was during a profound period of my life where i was undergoing some big personal changes moving into some next chapters of my life And when I cracked open this wise fortune cookie, inside the slip of paper said, life is change. Hmm. That really struck me because usually we say something like life changes, life is filled with change. Right. But it's a subtle word change, but the, the impact, the meaning of it is drastically different. Life itself is change. Life doesn't change. It is change. Change really is life. That's the nature of life. So to be scared of change is, in essence, to be scared of life. That's heavy stuff. There are authors that take this even deeper. Eckhart Tolle uh, wrote the book about the power of now and practicing the power of now. And he introduced some some good ideas about uh, ultimately the change itself is not what's causing the pain for us. Pain is caused by our resistance to the change. So how do we remove some of the barriers that go along with change? Do you have an example of that from your own life? 
Um, yeah, uh, I actually have a, a time where I had to intentionally break a pattern because it was no longer serving me. And this goes back to a major turning point in my chapter. I'd say when I became emotionally a man, um, what I mean by that is, uh, I just grew into a whole new chapter of my life, a bigger awareness of what life is really about, uh, a bigger awareness about who I am and what makes me happy. And ultimately, um, to set boundaries around myself and to give myself permission to do what I need to do to be well and not trying to please other people. Um, and you know, that can happen at different phases for people. For me, it happened around my mid thirties. And what had uh, started occurring was that I had a lot of younger friends. I was still living in central Florida at the time and tends to be a little bit of a party culture and it's a fun place. People go there to vacation. So there's a lot of different clubs and it's not unusual for people on Friday and Saturday nights. That's, that's what you're doing going out to bars and you go out to clubs. And for a couple years, especially um, since I hadn't come out until I was in my later 20s as a gay man, living in my later 20s, early 30s, it was kind of fun to go out to the gay clubs and socialize and meet other people in the LGBTQ plus community. But by my mid-30s, I was already starting to grow out of that. It just wasn't fun anymore to be out late. I'm not much of a drinker. I really don't like to be around drunk people. Um, I don't enjoy just this superficial conversation uh, with people who don't really want to be your friends. Uh, it just wasn't wasn't my scene, and I realize that now at 41. I'm just not into bars and clubs that much. Um, so it was getting really, really strong for me, this feeling of I'm not having fun anymore. But yet the pattern was to go out with my friends to the same club on a Friday night or a Saturday night uh, and keep reliving the same routine. It seemed to still be serving them because they were having a good time. But I just got to the point where I didn't want to do this anymore. So I gave myself permission to only put myself in places and around people with whom I felt good. And part of that is not that there was anything wrong with the people and the places. It's just that I had outgrown those experiences. Something that's really important in empowering is recognizing what we're talking about in this episode is reframing. You have the power within you to be happy in most circumstances. And it's about the way that you experience pleasure, fun, happiness. Uh, it's not dependent upon being connected to a particular person. I need to be with that guy or that girl. I need to live in that neighborhood. I need to be able to make this much money. We, we attach our happiness to things, which you really want when you go after those things. What you really want is a feeling, the feeling you think you're going to have when you get those things. But your ability to feel those emotions aren't contingent upon you having or getting those things. Uh, you know, For example, when you break up in a relationship... Uh, we are tribal animals. We already mentioned that in previous episodes. So wanting to be in an intimate relationship, that's that's a totally healthy thing. But don't attach your emotion that I have to be with that girl or that guy. Yeah, so what you're really after is an intimate relationship, which, by the way, it starts with having intimacy with yourself. So once you're able to go in more inside, this is the emotional intelligence that we've been talking about, once you start establishing that relationship with yourself, using your observing left brain to understand your experiencing right brain, um, you start to have an intimacy with who you are, and it starts to fill some of those needs that you're looking to your other relationships to get. How would reframing work 
in a global moment like we have right now? Excellent question. That's ultimately what we're trying to do. Yeah. So we're trying to rethink the way we think about this and the way that we are feeling about this. So the first thing I would say is uh, moving through your emotional intelligence. Uh, that that say you're looking at the news reports and and the growing death tolls, things like that. And that's scary stuff, absolutely. So you recognize step one of emotional intelligence is I read that headline and I'm triggered. That is step one. Triggered, if you can recognize you've been triggered, that means you've recognized that, hey, I feel something. So I'm triggered. Step two is what did it trigger? Fear. That's not that hard (laughs) to identify. Uh, Seeing a rising death toll is scaring me. So that's step one, that's step two. So step three is now reframing why is that scaring me? Well, it's scaring me because there are people that I care about. If they're not ill now, if they're not impacted now, now is the opportunity. Call them up. Talk with them. You have the ability to live now because we're alive. So that's live. Let's talk to each other more. Let's invest in those relationships. So I think um, the reframing is recognizing what you're really fearful of is what could happen in the future. But the future is not here yet. So let's do what we can do and put our energy into the opportunity. And the opportunity is to live now. How can achieving solitude equip people with the power to create opportunities right now? The opportunity with solitude is really in growing your emotional intelligence and then your social intelligence. I'm going to share a quote from a book called Lead Yourself First. The book says, it's on the jacket cover, that solitude is a state of mind, a space where you can focus on your thoughts without distraction with a power to bring mind and soul together in clear-eyed conviction. The name of that book is Lead Yourself First, Inspiring Leadership Through Solitude. If we do not look for distraction, when we're in solitude, if you're quarantined right now and you're spending a lot of time alone or even just with one other person, um, the distractions are much less because we're not running around like we always are, are doing in our normal lives. Uh, You may be looking for distraction where you're constantly going on social media, you're constantly watching the news, you're constantly watching movies. That's you placing the distractions in your life. So what I'm encouraging you to do is use this as an opportunity. Of course, do some of those activities if they bring you joy. I've been watching some movies too, and it's nice to, to see some things I usually don't have time to do. But I also take plenty of time each day in solitude to carve out a space where I can focus on my own thoughts without distraction. And that's where I'm, you know, writing episodes for this podcast. I'm creating additional work. Um, I just started some interviews with my parents. So I'm doing video interviews and asking them questions like, what was your favorite part of your childhood? And I'm creating a video diary so we can have that in the future. So how does reframing work on a physiological level? Like what is going on in the brain? Reframing is about utilizing a whole brain process. For example, Extreme emotion, when you're experiencing something really strongly and it triggers you, that resides in the right brain. Your right brain is just lighting up. So when someone's triggered, they're having a strong emotional reaction, which means they're having a largely right brain experience in that moment. So for this person, I would suggest balancing this right brain experience by doing step three of emotional intelligence, and that's to get that left hemisphere observing the brain to start asking questions to the right brain. Why are you reacting so strongly? Why is this triggering you? 
When you do this, you're already starting to balance and you're no longer living dominantly in your right brain. You're now also bringing your left brain into the picture. So you're lessening the experience when you're analyzing. You can't be as emotional if you are objectively analyzing your experience. And of course, for other people I've worked with in the past, it's the other way around. They tend to live their life largely as a metaphor, living in their left brain. They tend to analyze everything and they don't bring a whole lot of feeling into it. They're not using their intuition that much. So for those people, it's the opposite. How do we start pulling in some of your right brain to also provide data for you um, to, to you know, observe and analyze with your left brain? It's about trying to use a whole brain process is what reframing is and balancing ourselves out when we need to between left and right functions. We could kind of police our, not police our emotions, but I guess just monitor them a bit more. Yeah, I think self-monitoring is a great term. And uh, that's another skill that's associated with emotional intelligence. Different scholars define it in different ways. So these three steps are my specific definition of it. But um, other scholars, self-monitoring is part of a self-awareness, self-monitoring, part of an emotional intelligence. Yeah, because when, you, when you're aware of what you're doing, again, you can, if you don't like it, you can change it. You can say, ah, so I know what I would normally do when I react this way, but I don't think that's going to get me the result that I really want. So let me do this instead. You can choose. And ultimately, going into this with this idea of fear, you can even start to choose your emotion. Today, I want to feel happy. And I mean, life can be a struggle sometimes. So I'm not going to say you're going to feel happy every moment. But when you're looking at the overall summary of the day, yeah, I have to say I'm happy today because I gave myself access to the things. I got to sleep in. I ate food that I like. I did work that I typically enjoy. I got some exercise, which felt good. I listened to the music that I like. And I didn't force myself to do stuff that I don't like and I don't have to do. You know, this high-paying job. I don't have to have that car. I don't have to live in that zip code. I don't have to have that particular girl or that particular guy because I created the end result for myself that I was after to begin with, which was joy. Incredible. It really is life-changing when you, when you get to this. Totally, totally changes everything. So here's the takeaway. I want to reinforce that I am a social scientist. And social scientists look at behaviors. We look at the outside to theorize what's happening on the inside. I'm not a neuroscientist. I don't study brain scans. But what I do is theorize based on communication, research findings, and detailed observation. The essence of episode three is that in solitude, there's a huge opportunity to be able to rethink our reality, meaning that many of us are reliving familiar patterns of thinking, feeling, and doing, and we are doing this in an effort to prevent change. What we talked about is that change is life itself, so it cannot be prevented, and when we resist that change, it causes suffering. The resistance causes the suffering and not the change itself. Therefore, when we are experiencing a change that may not be what we want, the opportunity is to reframe what we think about it so that in the end, we feel good about it. To accomplish this, a good technique is to get your whole brain involved in the way you're experiencing reality. This means that if you're largely analytical, then you begin to bring more feelings into your experience. And if you tend to be largely emotional, then you bring in more left brain analysis. 
Thanks for listening to the Right Brain Journeys podcast. For more insights about social and emotional intelligence, subscribe to this podcast and follow me, Gino Parati, on LinkedIn or like Right Brain Journeys on Facebook for information about one-on-one coaching as well as group workshops and learning sessions.